BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Thursday, July 25th, not the 26th, Ben. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today's program, it's the return of In These Times writer Miles Komplassen. We're working it with union man Ed Maher. And we welcome Nicole Cantello and Lorene Targos with EPA Employees Union. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this So Sorry Uncle Albert Thursday. And here's why. Well, it's obvious to me, Dr. D, that Mayor Lori Lightfoot needs a lesson or two in how to say I am sorry. And to give her that lesson, I'm going to bring out the world's foremost authority on saying I'm sorry. And that would be... Who is it? That's the drum roll. And that would be me. (laughs) Why me, you asked, Dennis? Good question, young man. You asked some very good questions, man. The answer is because I have a lot to be sorry for. Speaking of which... I would like to make the following apology to one Maureen O'Donnell. All right, D? That would be the great Maureen O'Donnell, who's one of the greatest obituary writers in the world. She writes for my beloved Bright One. Home delivered every day. Okay. And she was my guest in the studio yesterday. All right, D? Mm -hmm. Sitting right over there, right where Leah is sitting. And we had the following exchange, which I will now go to the videotape to reproduce. (laughs) high-tech program we got here that's me going to the videotape let's go to the video remember there was a guy who used to do that let's go to the videotape no sports guy back in the 90s why would you know about i forget his name but he was i love these let's go to the videotape you know okay this is now me on the (laughs) videotape for 10 trivia points maureen who directed ryan's daughter now I have to say this. I'm not going to take the time to explain why we were talking about a, an obscure, long-forgotten 1970s movie. Ah, well, it's the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. If they've listened to one episode, they kind of get it. But anyway, let's go back to the videotape. Pretend to real points, Maureen, who directed the movie Ryan's Daughter, at which point Maureen said, David Lean. That's my Mar- Maureen O'Donnell imitation. Not a very good imitation. Not at all. <laughs> okay. Which is the correct answer? Only I said, no. Uh, 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 Marine, you're wrong. Mm-mm-mm. It was Stanley Kubrick. Well, folks, I have to say that soon after the show was over, Maureen looked it up on her phone and <clears throat> she was right and I was wrong. Yes, indeed. It was David Lean. At which point, Maureen O'Donnell jumped up and down and goes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> she did not do any of that, ladies and gentlemen, because she's far too civilized to act in such a way. Although I'm sure she thought it. Anyway, I have to apologize. Maureen, you were right and I was wrong. Not only do you get the 10 trivia points that I so unfairly did not award to you yesterday, but by showing your incredible knowledge of movies from the 1970s, I am giving you an invitation to the Ben Jarofsky Show Movie Geek Club. All right? It's a very, it's a very important invitation. All right? I fill it up with movie geeks. We get Lucky together. Lucky you. <laughs> Lucky you, Marine. We get together and we talk about movies. Let's see. There's Sergio <laughs> Mims. Uh, there's Chris Buddy. There's the great Chris Adams, a great movie maker from the city of Chicago. We get together. We talk about movies. In fact, we're going to have a meeting next week. Dave. Guess what movie we're going to be talking about? Ah, that one Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> well, yep. I'm going to be seeing it tonight. Cannot wait. Once upon a time in Hollywood. And uh, so we'll be talking about that uh, next week. Anyway. Uh, Maureen, uh, you really do know your movies, and you're a welcome member of the club. The only the only requirement is you actually have to see the movie, okay? You can't read a review about it. You have to actually see the movie. Anyway, so that's how you apologize, folks. You were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Here are your 10 trivia points. <laughs> that's how every apology goes in my life. <laughs> Oh, the stakes were high. Those 10 trivia points. Are you kidding me? Marie, Do Marie O'Donnell has so many trivia points that she I think she could turn them in for like a hamburger somewhere. I think we can't get that. Anyway, that brings me to Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Yep. She had an exchange uh, in uh, the city council yesterday. We, uh, this was going on while we were doing our show. But as you may or may not know, everybody, we now have public comment sessions at the start of the city council meeting. Uh, the city of Chicago has decided to move into the 21st century and allow the people of Chicago a, a moment to speak their mind to the mayor. I appreciate that. Of course, there had to be a lawsuit to get them to do this, but whatever. Hey, they're doing it, right, D? Hey. Uh, so anyway, uh, yesterday at the city council meeting, Meeting. A gentleman from the Fraternal Order of Police rose to speak. His name is Patrick Murray. And as soon as Lori Lightfoot saw him standing to speak, she said something along the lines of, quote, this FOP clown. FOP stands for, for Fraternal Order of Police. Now, she didn't say this out front for everyone to hear. She sort of muttered it under her breath. Uh, and guess what, D? It was picked up by the microphone. Yeah, oh, been mm -hmm. there. <laughs> So have I. I've been there, too. Although they tell you uh, in 101 of uh, radio and podcasting, don't speak into a microphone. Always assume it's on. Right, D? Don't yeah. they tell you that? Uh -huh. Along with the fact that these things are called cups, right? No. They're cans. cans. You're embarrassing us. Come on. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. continue. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, the uh, reporters after the meeting uh, came up to Lori Lightfoot and uh, asked her to, if uh, she was going to have an apology of any kinds. And um, this is what Lori Lightfoot uh, said, quote, it was not appropriate for me to say that out loud. Hmm. Uh, uh, France Bielman writes, is the mayor planning to apologize to Murray or to the union with which she is now attempting to establish a dialogue and needs to negotiate a new police contract? Good question. To which Lori Lightfoot said, quote, I think I just did. I think I said I shouldn't have said that out loud. Hmm. At which point, Franz Bielman writes, is the mayor sorry she said it, or is she sorry the derogatory remark got picked up on a hot mic? Excellent question, right, D? At which point, Lori Lightfoot said, I'm sorry that I said it out loud. All right, Lori, that is really not a good apology, okay? 
you're saying I'm sorry I said it out loud means I really believe it. I'm just sorry I said it out loud and you everybody heard me saying it. No, what you should say is, I'm sorry I said it. It was an inappropriate line. I'm trying to open good negotiation, uh, negotiations with the Fraternal Order Police. I realize we have massive differences on issues like how to punish policemen who are accused of brutality. I, I realize that this is very important to the future of the city of Chicago, that we reach some sort of settlement on this. And I know I did not advance the cause of reaching that settlement by blurting out something stupid that I shouldn't have said because you know what the guy has a right to get up and talk to you without being called a clown right isn't that what democracy is all about and free speech that's how you give an apology ladies and gentlemen Uh, speaking of apologies finally you're gonna apologize (laughs) to me about that one no yeah I know know. Robert Mueller I think he owes everybody apology for being such a wimp yesterday you know I'm sorry like what huh I can't hear (laughs) you Anyway, come on, Mueller. Man it up. Anyway, Lori Lightfoot, you can learn how to apologize by listening to me because Lord knows I got a lot to apologize for. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. The great Miles Conflassen will be here from In These Times. He's all set to talk some Mueller. He's going to talk about what's been going down in Puerto Rico. He's going to talk. I think he wants to talk, uh, weigh in on Lori and the Fraternal Order of Police and the Democratic debates. A lot of politics to talk with Miles. Big Ed Maher will be here. It's Union Day on the Ben Jarofsky Show. He's going to be talking about all the changes uh, at the Department of Labor. One secretary in, one secretary out. And then speaking of labor, we're going to continue the theme with Nicole Cantello and Laureen Targos. These are a couple of bad beeps. I'm not going to swear with a capital B. Thank you. They are... they are taking a strong stand. And if Maureen O'Donnell is listening, I know uh, she's a huge fan of Jackie Brown. And these two women, Nicole Cantello and Laureen Targos, get my Jackie Brown Award, which is the greatest award I can give uh, to a, a woman for standing up for the right righteousness and good causes against the, the man. And so we'll be talking to Nicole and Laureen about the protests they did at EPA, at an EPA ceremony about, hmm, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, standing up for union rights, standing up for EPA employees, and also standing up for the environment in the face of deregulation by uh, President Donnie John Trump. So Nicole Cantella, Laureen T- uh, Targus will be here at 2.30. Plenty of political talk ahead, and we're going to start it off with the doctor and the news. Hey guys, middle of the day, not a doctor, name's Dennis. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. The Mueller testimony is over, all right? After two hearings in one day, a confusing, wordy speech, a 400-some-odd-page book that Ben always talks about and shows everybody, just like he just did there. Get a look at that book, downloaders. (laughs) After a 400-some-odd-page book and a two-year investigation. Wait, let me check. Mr. Mueller, uh, it was a two-year investigation, correct? That's correct. Okay. (laughs) Double-check. Uh, two year, two year. That's correct. Okay. Wait, one sure. more time. Just, I think it was actually twenty two months. Is it? Wasn't it twenty two oh, months? Okay. Well, we're being real specific. I said two years, but it's actually twenty two months. Correct. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> Our nation's top Democrats are now left with what may be their final card in this whole thing: impeachment. <laughs> Ah! During a closed-door powwow after yesterday's testimony, Democratic House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler Mm -hmm. was ready to get those impeachment proceedings rolling. (laughs) But Ben Jarofsky, take a wild guess, just a wild guess, as to who opposed those impeachment proceedings. Here's a hint. Uh, You framed the painting you made of her in your home. (laughs) 
I believe her initials are NP. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nancy Pelosi. That's right. Wah, wah. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. Pelosi called Nadler's idea to begin drafting articles of impeachment premature, uh, standing by her ins- uh, insistence that the, quote, slow, methodical approach was the way to go. When asked if she discouraged her members from supporting an impeachment probe, Nancy Pelosi said she has, quote, never discouraged fellow House Democrats from supporting an impeachment inquiry against Trump and that they need to follow their own instincts on the matter. Ben Jarofsky, we're going to ask you here right now, all right, is Pelosi playing this right? Or since the Mueller uh, testimony, has the game plan changed for the Democrats? Okay, here's how I'm going to answer that question, because I don't duck and dodge. I don't evade. Uh, I'm going to answer it the way Mueller would say, huh? I didn't hear the question. Huh? Wait, who said that? (laughs) What? The guy's got great hearing. All of a sudden, yesterday's hearing. What can't he? Where? What page? What page was that again? Hey, my glasses. No, yeah, impeach. Come on, Democrats. Let's get going. Trump is laughing at you. He's mocking you. He's raising the middle finger at you. You know, he broke the, he violated all the standards, the civility and proper conduct every single day uh the Mueller report lays out all the evidence of how uh, donald trump tried to strong arm his aides into lying and to uh, bearing evidence uh how the trump uh, campaign was working cahoots with the russians and putin uh to disseminate the the, uh emails that they had illegally hacked out of democratic computers come on democrats let me get this straight then so you Disagree with Nancy Pelosi's uh, move to not impeach at the moment. Uh, now that's where I get tricky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think that uh, Nancy Pelosi is doing a Nancy Pelosi thing where she's like playing the quote unquote good cop. I'm trying to keep my Democratic members in line, but they're just it's really hard. That's my Nancy Pelosi imitation. Yeah, I heard better. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, I wish she was a little bolder with this. I actually do as much as I love Nancy Pelosi and take a lot of abuse for, uh, saying that, uh, I do believe this, her restraint is getting a little out of hand here. I think that Democrats should go for impeachment and, and put it on the table and stop just the strategy they're employing is to what look the other way while Donald Trump gets away with murder in the hopes that they persuade swing voters in Michigan and Wisconsin to join them. I don't don't know that where that's ever worked e, where you could beat a bully by not fighting and engaging a bully i don't know where that's ever worked anywhere in the entire universe well to me that sounds like uh, you're in disagreement but that painting's not going off the wall anytime soon <laughs> i think that's fair assessment all right everybody what wait. about the lunchbox oh you the that, nancy pelosi lunchbox yeah, i tried not bringing it up it's embarrassing <laughs> for you i know you have a nancy pelosi lunchbox but uh, we're moving on we have some 2020 <laughs> democratic presidential candidate updates private jets let's talk about Ooh. them why because a Apparently, presidential candidate in South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg loves him. The AP is reporting. By the way, it is that time of the election season where we start just uh, judging people by their campaign spending money. Uh, that uh, the AP is reporting that Mayor Pete has spent about $300,000 on private jets this year, more than any other Democratic presidential hopeful. Wow. Buttigieg's campaign defended the charter flights as a necessary expense given its headquarters in South Bend, Indiana. They said, quote, we are careful with how we spend our money and we fly commercial as often as possible. That's a Buttigieg spokesperson. And they continue the quote saying, we only fly non-commercial when the schedule 
dictates. Ben, your thoughts. Well, my thoughts uh, are that I don't understand why Pete Buttigieg is running for mayor of the uh, mayor of the country. <laughs> Boy, where's my mind at? I don't understand why he's running for president. Uh, and and I say this based on the fact that I've looked at his record at South Bend, Indiana, and he hasn't made any significant contributions that would uh, lead me to say, my God, I would love to see you running this country. You have a vision. You have a way of uniting people who generally are on opposite sides of issues. And just the opposite, he ignored all the key issues in South Bend for years and years having to do with race relations. And now all of a sudden he's running for uh, president and he's like Frederick Douglass. He's citing Frederick Douglass. So I don't understand why he's running in the first place. I understand he's a very charismatic gentleman. He's a great speaker and he's induced a lot of people to give him a lot of money. And so therefore, when you have a lot of money, D, party on. Let's take a charter plane. Uh, That explanation is so ridiculous, by the way. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, is based in California. All right. And she has to go to uh, Washington and Iowa is in the middle of the country. A little geography lesson for you, D. California, Washington, Iowa. Oh, okay. my God. Let's where have you been all my life? <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, how many private jets is she taking? So, I don't know. It just seems like he's raised so much money. He doesn't really know what to do with it. So, I don't know. Let's take a private jet. Kick back. How many private jets have you taken? I don't think I've ever been on a private jet in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been on first class. It's kind of sad to admit All that. All right, so Mayor Pete spending a lot of money on private jets. Hopefully none of his uh, POTUS opponents uses this against him. Oh, wait. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. Too late. Uh, which one? But luckily for Mayor Pete, this yeah. candidate that's uh, kind of calling him out here uh, doesn't really get a lot of media attention these days. Kind of boring, honestly. Candidate Beto O'Rourke. Speaking of people who I don't understand why they're running for president, Beto O'Rourke, <laughs> that Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke's the first to call out Mayor Pete for this. Uh, And, uh, well, let's see here. In a recent YouTube video, O'Rourke announced no private planes for this campaign. We have the video here. Uh, Who cares about these guys in three, two, one? No no private planes for this campaign. Uh, We're putting your five, ten, or fifteen dollars to use in in making sure that we make the most out of. every penny that's committed to this campaign. No PACs, no corporations, no special interests, all people. And if you would like to join others who have contributed to this campaign, Go to that's enough. What is what's the vacuum cleaner in the background? Just yeah, like no, Trump. He, he was on he was on a jet and there was nobody uh, on the jet as well. And he wanted to clarify that uh, you know it wasn't a private jet. He's waiting to board the plane before everybody else gets on. Well, I can't remember which one of our guests uh, said this first. So, so, but somebody opined this. Uh, was it, who was it the first? Was it um, Samina that said it first? Uh, was it? Um, I can't remember Candace who said this first. I can't remember which guest said. I want to give the right person the, the acknowledgement, but why aren't these people running for Senate? You know what I'm saying? You want to knock? You want to take out Mitch McConnell? That was Candace. Candace said that. Candace, gotta give you credit. Candace Castillo was on the show talking about the debates, and um, yeah, I I don't know why they're not running for Senate. They should be running for. I think Kitty Kurth may have said it as well. Uh, but anyway, no matter who said it. Uh, she, I think it was a she, she was right. Uh, these uh, better O'Rourke should be running for senator in Texas. He did very well in his race against Ted Cruz. Come on, Beto. Running for president is ridiculous. Now, was it Candace? It was Candace and Kitty. Uh, Robert Mueller, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> there we go.
Uh, All right, another candidate news. <laughs> Presidential candidate Kirsten Gillibrand today rolled out what she is calling, quote, a climate change moonshot to save our planet. The Democratic senator from New York said in a blog post that climate change is the most serious threat to humanity today, and we need immediate and bold action to address it before it's too late. She said she would enact the Green New Deal and mobilize $10 trillion in public and private funding to neutralize America's share of the pollution heating uh, the planet by 2050. The deadline aligns with other Democrats running for president and the spending tops what most have proposed. Yeah, well, I applaud her for doing this, and uh, I'm waiting for the Republican Party to join this debate in any way. You know, we have these crucial issues we're facing. I'm just going to name two of them. One, climate change and what we can do to protect the environment from the utter destruction caused by uh, releasing pollutants, gases, toxic substances uh, into the waters and the streams and the atmosphere you know like survival right there at stake uh that's one issue and of course then there's the issue of our health care our system of health care is utterly insane and uh, people desperate means can't pay their health care bills uh i don't think a 21st century civilization should have the kind of health care system we have those are two very important issues the republican party is absolutely nowhere to be found uh, putting forth any meaningful legislation that would deal or confront any of these problems uh, let's see. Donald Trump has been the president since 2017, January of 2017. The, set, the Republicans have controlled the Senate since at least 2012, I want to say. Uh, and they had the House for the first two years of Trump. And now uh, the Democrats have the House. They've not advanced any legislation with all this power to deal with these important issues. So it's always left up to Democrats like Senator Gillibrand to come out with proposals, which the Republicans immediately denigrate. So you can't even have a debate because the Republicans aren't putting anything on the table. So, yes, I think it's good that uh, we have Democrats who are advancing proposals, ideas and issues. But you can't do it if you're just going to you can't pass this legislation in the face of just knee jerk opposition from the Republicans. So I think it's time that any Republicans out there who want to stand up for like saving the planet, you're more than welcome to do so. And finally, Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris has come out strongly against the news today on the Justice Department's announcement that it would resume capital punishment after a 16-year lapse of the policy. Here's Kamala, uh, Kamala on Twitter. She says, this morning, the Department of Justice announced they would resume capital punishment. Let me be clear. Capital punishment is moral and deeply flawed. Too many innocent people have been put to death. We need a national moratorium on the death penalty, not a resurrection. Yes, Kamala Harris, U.S. Senator before that, uh, for, you know, Senator from California. Before that, she was Attorney General. And she was sort of a uh, hardcore uh, Attorney General, locking people up, et cetera, and so forth. She deals with, by the way, can I just promote a weekend show, D? Do I have permission to do that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right, that'd be good. You. Uh, Richard Steele was in the studio yesterday, the great Richard oh. Steele, the real deal. Richard Steele, radio legend, superstar, a good friend of this show. And uh, we had a, a delightful conversation about all the issues of the day. We spent quite a bit of time talking about Kamala Harris. It's a little, D, that's called teaser alert. You're okay. good. Yeah, come on. Man, you... You're Radio. a pro. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you can uh, do whatever you want, dude. Uh, D, do I have permission? To, uh, what's that name say? <laughs> Doesn't say Dennis on there anywhere. It's all you, dude. I, I always turn to Dennis. It's all you. Every day, Dennis, what do you think? Dennis, what do you think? Uh, He's I like, don't see Dennis on that uh, poster there. Uh, Dennis, can I go to bed now? Uh, no, Ben. <laughs> stay up later and watch another TV show. Uh, watch, watch another episode of Fleabag. Anyway, uh, Richard Steele and I were talking about Kamala Harris. Hold on, D. I'm going to have a little more of that Kamala Harris Kool-Aid. Okay. Well, sure. Go mm, ahead. Mm, mm. 
Is it good? I've been feeling that Kamala Harris vibe these days, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but one of the interesting things, as I was saying to Richard uh, Steele yesterday, I read this uh, a very enlightening article in The New Yorker about Kamala Harris, is her effort now to, to move left on issues of criminal justice from where she was when she was a prosecutor. And I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, she's moving left because she's in the Democratic uh, primary to get the nomination. Once she gets that nomination, D, she's going to drive a car? <laughs> back toward the center on this oh, issue. Oh, okay. All of a sudden, you're going to be hearing a lot about how she was rough and tough <laughs> on defendants when she was attorney general. Got go to this, Got to go to the left to get the nomination. Then you got to go to the center to win the big and prize. what's that sound like again? <laughs> That's going to the center, guys. <laughs> now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. People, we're moving on and coming up after this short little break. We're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jaromsky Show. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jaromsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Wait, Robert Mueller, it's the Ben Jarofsky Show, right? Is that correct? Correct. <laughs> okay, cool. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, yes, indeed, we are live, and Robert Mueller will be our next guest. Just kidding. Robert Mueller, ah, uh, died dog. Huh? <laughs> Where's the bathroom? <laughs> he got lost at Sun-Times. Uh, I can't hear a thing. Huh? Uh, anyway, profiles encourage Robert Mueller's testimony yesterday. Ah, huh? can't hear you. What? What you got for me, D? That's correct. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. More news to talk about from Wednesday's city council meeting. Mm. Yes, that means another edition of our favorite Chicago soap opera starring Lori Lightfoot, appropriately titled... A mayor <laughs> and her alderman. Yeah. <laughs> We'll do that in moments. But okay. first, Ben Jarofsky, break out the liquor. Outside Chicago Magazine has rated Chicago the best place to live in 2019. You're kidding. No. I don't even know what to say. Oh, well, I'm speechless, huh? <laughs> I, wow. Who, who did that? That's who, who perfect got to for vote a podcast host. I don't know what to say. Oh, great. <laughs> who got to vote on that? I know I didn't get a vote on that. Well, it's outside Chicago Magazine, all right? I got all it right. pulled up right here, outsideonline.com. The 12 best places to live in 2019. Ooh, okay, let's see. Chicago made number one. What Number one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nice. Uh, so uh, it says here, the not-so-second city. Pop, well, can you see it because it's first right they got a million of them over there and outside oh my goodness uh not so second city population 2.7 million and uh they have here the stereotypical resident of uh, chicago let me see if you agree with this or not ben the stereotypical resident according to outside magazine uh of chicago is the weekend warrior who's quick to tell you how the cold doesn't stop them from running, biking, or surfing all winter long. That doesn't sound like any Chicagoan I've ever hung out with. I've been living here since 1981. Most Chicagoans I never... Surfing? I'd surfing. Most Chicagoans I don't make fun of me because I walk. I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're walking? Uh, the, uh, Cap out there, I know you're listening. So I don't know. That's that's like a, seg a tiny segment of a segment. People bragging about how they... Man, the only guy I know rides his bicycle in the winter is Mr. Bike. We oh. gotta get him back on the show. We by do the gotta way. get Mr. Bike back on the show. And I'll hear Ben, you'll love this. Get yeah. ready to apply to Outside <laughs> Online magazine. Maybe okay. you can write some columns for him. <laughs> 
<laughs> says here, what's happening in Chicago? That's Ooh, why it's the number one place to live. What's is happening? Chicago is undergoing public uh, public space renaissance with the development of new trails like the elevated 606 and the Chicago River Walk. This in a metro area that's already located with recreation opportunities. Right, don't get me started. We spent like a nickel on that uh, those projects, and then we spent how many billions dollars in Lincoln Yards? Come on, whoever wrote this article? Did Mayor Rahm write this article? Who was on the bo- the board? Mayor Rahm and his brother? Who's that? The people made this choice? There's a good chance. Yeah, I don't Mayor know. Rahm and his brother and his best friend or something are on this board. This is the most ridiculous poll I ever heard of. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say Mayor Rahm. Just, Man, we're building just, a the Obama Center in the middle of a park. We, there's tons of vacant land all over the city of Chicago. We put the Obama Center. We went, no, I got an idea. Let's put it in a park. Okay, Jaroski's <laughs> on fire here. We're going to move on from this story. <laughs> My God. Come on, outside. They should have called me up to get me to weigh in. Uh. First of all, I don't know any Chicagoans who love walking around in the winter. Oh. That's something right there. They obviously didn't talk to any Chicagoan I know. Lived there since 1981, D. Oh, we got, a, to a, we got a grumpy Ben Jaroski here. We're moving on from and that story. by the story. way, outside. Could you get some Chicagoans to shovel their freaking walks? How about that? There you go. They love being outside so much. Shovel your walk. Put a little ah, salt on hot it. Hot winter talk here in July in Chicago. By the way, I shovel my walk. All right. Just want to get that out there. All right. All right. Okay. We're moving on. You're really upset right now. All right. So let's talk about the city council meeting. You'll probably get pissed about that too. No, but the we follow- got My- Miles is in the studio. We may bring him in for and, this discussion. And this seems like actual good news here. The following comes with the Chicago Tribune. The city council on Wednesday unanim- unanimously, Dennis could talk, unanimously approved a bill requiring large Chicago employers to give workers at least two weeks advance notice of their schedule and compensate them for last minute changes in development for more than two years. The Fair Work Week ordinance reflects a compromise between representatives from labor and business who have been working with city on what kinds of employers and employees would be covered by the scheduling rules. Yes, indeed. We'll be talking that with Big Ed Maher coming in around two o'clock, the Fair Week ordinance. Uh, so maybe hold off on that one. That's called a tease in this business, they tease. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think a hero or heroine in that uh, effort was uh, our good friend, Alderwoman Sue Garza. I mean, everybody was singing her praise yesterday. I think it's going to go to her head, D. Everybody's singing her praise, giving her cheers. Uh-oh, you're going to have to expand the office, get her in so she can walk into that that 10th Ward office. Uh, I got a standing ovation. I see out there, Sue Garza. We got the quotes from Garza to read here in a moment here, but uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Frank the Woe Man Spielman weighed in on this today as well, saying after a two-and-a-half-year uh, two battle that spanned two administrations and pitted businesses against labor, Chicago's low-wage workers finally have the advanced scheduling notice they need to arrange for child care and give predictability to their paychecks. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot has earned political uh, earned a political victory to add to her list of 100-day accomplishments. The city council voted unanimously Wednesday to give Chicago uh, the fair work week here. And yeah, okay, let's do the quotes from Sue Garza. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot, without your leadership on this, this would have never, ever transpired. Uh, and then she says, I can't give you a bottle of champagne, but I'm going to give you a bottle of Southside hot sauce. It's kind of the same, right? And that prompted yeah. Alderman Nick Spazzato, former uh, guest on the Ben Jarofsky yes, show. Uh, he says here, oh, hey, as long as it's uh, under $50. Oh, Nick's got a million jokes. He'll be doing stand-up at Zany's uh, this weekend, Nick Spazzato. Oh, Ben, I got a million of them. 
Anyway, yeah, good job, Sukars. We talk about that with Ed Maher, but uh, I don't know. You know, the standing ovation's going to her head, D. Alderwoman Garza. You know what I'm saying? We're going to have to expand that door to get her in here, all right? It's going straight to her head. I think I agree with Johnny Joe on the YouTube live stream chat. I think they put too much vodka in Ben's cup today. <laughs> Hold on, Johnny Joe. Uh-oh. That's Kamala vodka. Mm. I'm drinking that Kamala Kool-Aid. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Let's see if Miles is drinking some of that Kamala Kool-Aid, too. All right. So, hey, coming up, we're going to be talking with Union Man Ed Maher about the Fair Work Week here. And uh, we'll keep you posted on that as today's program rolls along. And just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally. And now you'll know what's going on when someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Yeah, let me tell you something that Johnny Joe, uh, who's listening on the live stream, that Sue Garza and Miles Conflossen all agree on. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Miles in the studio. We'll, we'll see what he has to say. We'll see if he's drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid when we return. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, yes, indeed. We're back. And hold on. Mmm. That Kamala Kool-Aid is tasting delicious every day. I drink a little more. Uh, Miles Conflesson is in the studio from In These Times. And uh, Miles, a regular uh, guest here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, Miles, have you been drinking the Kamala Harris Kool-Aid these days? You know, that's not been uh, what I've had in my uh, coffee cup uh, (laughs) on my end. But uh, I understand. You know, after that last uh, debate... Understandably, everybody saw her as the, you know, the, not only the kind of the star, the one that uh, jumped out the most from the field, but she took a pretty, um, you know, she went she went for the throat of, of Biden. And that's not what 
people were expecting from her. Certainly that's not the kind of campaign she'd been running before. And I think that put her on a lot of people's radar. Uh, unfortunately, since then, the two kind of main issues that she talked about at that debate were, uh, number one, as people know, busing, um, where she went after Joe Biden uh, very personally. I mean, she talked about that little girl was me. She mentioned, you know, how his position on that and his partnerships with these horrible racists like Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond were, um, you know, just Flied in the face of what Democratic Party ideals should be. In the you know days after that, she admitted that she was not in favor of mandatory busing herself. She was actually you know she <laughs> yeah. said she's she's up for voluntary busing, but she wouldn't. And this is you know busing is not a you know hot button issue for so many people in the um, party, but it's more of a fissure. It's a place to you know point out what sides of debates people are on and to you know open up have an open debate about what is the future direction of the party i think if you're going to do that though you should have the courage of your convictions and you know pick a policy point where you really do stand apart from other people that speaks to the other thing from that debate you know she said she wanted to eliminate private health insurance the um issue that's so key to the medicare for all proposal that um, bernie sanders introduced in the senate pramila j paul in the house that a number of 2020 contenders are on board with, including Kamala Harris. Later, she again backtracked and said, hey, you know, actually not for that. I, you know, I thought it was, do I personally want to get rid of my private health insurance? This is, and this speaks to this broader issue of, you know, understandably people feel, oh, that's such quick change. We can't uh, take on the entire healthcare industry in America and, you know, radically change it. I don't think, you know, and this is a point that Sanders and others have made, I don't think that the issue is that there's uh, people are loving Blue Cross, Blue Shield or Aetna or any of these. <laughs> they like their hospitals. They like their doctors. They like, you know, the coverage that they get. But that is not the insurance companies. That is not the bureaucrats that are, you know, making massive profits off of uh, people's health care. So uh, that's one issue I have with Kamala's position on that. But I think it just doesn't speak to a uh, being able to have that solid position where you're saying, you know, these are the things I believe in. This is what I'm going to stand up for when you're backtracking in just the days following the debate. So that's one of the reasons I'm not so deep on the Kool-Aid. You're not drink, drinking that Kool-Aid. Well, I got to say this about Kamala Harris. Uh, I, I just got the reason she's so on my mind. I read uh, a profile of her that ran in the New Yorker. I don't know if you read that uh, that uh, profile, but it took a deep dive into her life, into her past, into her career, uh, her political roots, her connections to powerful politicians in the in the San Francisco area, including Nancy Pelosi and Willie Brown, uh, who was for years the head of the. He was like the Michael Madigan of. California. He was the Democratic head of the assembly there, and he was later on the mayor of uh, San Francisco. Anyway, uh, and when I read the article, I realized that uh, this was a very shrewd politician who had begun her career as sort of a centrist, particularly on criminal uh, justice issues. She's attorney general. She's sort of the lock em up persuasion. Now she's moving left to get the nomination, and I have no doubt uh, miles that she's just going to go right back to the center if she were to get the nomination uh and she's just a strategic political animal and i i, I see that and so what she did was so skillful you're absolutely correct to sort of uh, by being the one who attacked biden 
she looks good to lefties. It's it's sort of similar in a, in a in a way to Barack Obama being able to run as a quote unquote progressive in two thousand eight because he'd been a, he had attended an anti war rally in two thousand and two. So that's the reason he was elected president. Uh, th- thank you. That's what it, well, the reason he won Iowa, yeah. and and that's the reason he was elected. He got the nomination and et cetera and so forth. So I see a very uh, similar thing. I uh, very similar thing with uh, Kamala Harris. That skillfulness, and you're absolutely correct. But just to just to cl- oh, a minor clarification. It was one of those raise your hand in the air questions. It was session. a bad question. It was a yeah. So raise your hand. Would you uh, take away people's private insurance? I think I, I would. Would they get to keep? I forget which way it was phrased. But she raised her hand to say she would take away the private insurance. So it wasn't a direct question. It was a raise your hand, yes or no. And then later, she, oh, I didn't understand the mm-hmm. question. It's like straight out of Robert Mueller. Speaking of which, yeah. your thoughts on Robert Mueller? We talked about him a lot yesterday. The show was live when he was doing his show and his performance. Need to know what your thoughts were on how, on how he, what his performance. Well, it was, was. Uh, pretty much the exact same uh, type of phenomenon happened, wherein he uh, seemed to say in response to Lou's question that he that, that Trump would have been indicted had it not been for this Department of Justice ruling that you can indict a sitting president. That was just like you know you could tell the Democrats were just foaming at the mouth once he said that and yeah. they're thinking this is our this is it this is our soundbite we got it you know and then at the end of his questioning there is before they move to the next section he said oh wait I, I just want to clarify this was not actually you know I did not we we did not come down on a decision of whether we would charge charge him with a crime so it's not as if this one Justice Department of ruling is what kept us from it. so he equivocated completely and it basically took the wind out of the sails of that whole line of questioning that seemed to be uh, um, actually pointing to the fact that the president had been um, seen as uh, as doing criminal activity Otherwise, I mean, as you know, you, the doctor over here it keeps on uh, pointing to he the the response that we got from Mueller was that's correct, that's correct. Yeah. That's, all these because he said he was not going to read from the report, and that would have been a little bit more dramatic potentially. Seeing the actual special counsel reading from the words, he didn't do any of that. So it basically all came down to who's going to create the better narrative: the Democrats or the Republicans? Of course, the Republicans all said he was not, you know. Uh, there was no collusion. There was no obstruction. None of that was clarified in the report. The Democrats said, well, but you didn't say he didn't collude necessarily. So it's it, nothing really uh, changed from the status quo before, which a lot of people said would be helpful to the Republicans in that, you know, if the Democrats can't score any real political points off of this hearing, then what is the actual benefit to them? And I think it speaks to what you were talking about earlier, the um timidity of the party when it comes to taking on the a president that is massively unpopular and has clearly uh, broken his pledges to the you know uphold the constitution when he's you know continuing to operate his business there's so many areas in which this president has clearly committed not just obstruction of justice but he's uh, you know uh, kind of th- thrown the Constitution into shreds. There's plenty of reasons to impeach this president, and yet focusing solely, I think, on this Russian connection has distracted a lot of Democrats from focusing on some of these other issues, and it has made the entire thing a referendum on collusion. And so that's why, you know, Trump always said, the, the day after the Mueller report came out, I remember he walked up to a group of reporters, and instead of sort of saying hi or anything like that, he just, Trump just walked up saying, <laughs> no 
collusion, no collusion collusion, became his. And so this is becomes the whole uh, conversation (laughs) is about whether it's collusion. And there's there's so many other things going on. And I think what Mueller was really trying to do was talk not so much about obstruction or collusion, but rather interference. And that's what he kept on talking about is the fact that there is still the threat to our democracy by uh, Russian agents that is ongoing and that that will likely have an impact in 2020. So that's the real import I took from it. I didn't think there was any shocking new details, but it underscored how Democrats need another strategy if they really want to take on this president. I, I No collusion. Yeah, there you go. No collusion. Thanks you, uh, Donnie John. I, I was very disappointed with Mueller on a couple of levels. Um, and how do I articulate this one, Miles? The man, I don't know if you know anything about his biography. He's a very courageous guy. He, he uh, you know, he was a, a Vietnam War vet. Uh, he faced, uh, he won medals for facing incoming fire, I mean, you know, things I would never have the guts to do. And uh, so I give him credit for that versus having like physical courage in a way that I wouldn't have it. Uh, that said, he didn't show any of that yesterday. And, and, and they attacked his... This is a point that David Ferris made when he walked into the studio. He's absolutely correct. Those Republicans went after the members of his investigatory committee. They went after their credibility, uh, and they made try to seem like they were puppets for Hillary Clinton's political operative team. He didn't even stand up for them. That you know what I'm saying. It's one thing to to duck and dodge whether you think the president should be impeached. You think the president should be indicted. At least stand by the people that. Dedicated 22 months of their life yeah. to investigating the wrongdoing, the clear wrongdoing evidence of it, and I just was so disappointed on just a personal level uh, that, that Robert, the way he behaved yesterday, Robert Mueller, the way he behaved. And it's just like he, it, Trump gets away with it so often, Miles, uh, because. People won't confront him, and that leads uh, to, I'll ask you the question that Dennis asked me. Do you think Nancy Pelosi uh, is playing a losing hand politically by just holding back on uh, unleashing an impeachment uh, inquiry in the in the house well i do i don't think it is all comes down to pelosi but she's you know she runs her caucus with an iron fist and i think if she really wanted to move forward on impeachment proceedings we would see uh the pace quicken quite a bit because she's you know just has that kind of control over her her caucus the question to me is how you know there's these young there's there's a clear issue going on in the democratic caucus right now which was on display last week with all of the you know dismissive attitudes towards the squad you know pelosi's comments that um you know they're they have their twitter following or whatever and so this kind of created this um intra-party fight amongst you know some of these older members, these long-term incumbents who said other dismissive things about, this is referring to Ocasio-Cortez, Presley, Omar, and Tlaib, who are, you know, these young, newly elected progressives that have a much more um, kind of go-for-it attitude when it comes to pursuing bigger policy goals and when it comes to impeaching President Trump. They're, you know, they've uh, they've spoken out about it, especially Rashida Tlaib's been very outspoken. And so I think that what Pelosi is trying to do is hold this, you know, caucus together that is moving in different directions. But also that means she's just not coming down on any real side. She could say, hey, we're not impeaching this president and we're going to focus on other issues. Um, and, you know, at least that would help to stop out all these you know, calls for impeachment. Or she could say, you know, we got to move forward. This president has clearly committed 
criminal acts, we need to take action on it. She's not doing that either. So she keeps just, you know, in this kind of middle ground. And to me, that's not, that doesn't show leadership, especially at a time when um, the president is so unpopular. Just think about some of the things that he's done. He, not everybody might not remember this, but there's this guy, Joe Arpaio, who was a sheriff down in Arizona, mm-hmm. and he um, was convicted uh, of criminal contempt, basically, for his... Um, racial uh, attitudes for how he expressed that in at when he was the sheriff uh so he was convicted and tr- trump pardoned him and yeah. he just and you know and that was um federal judges you know were up in arms about that there was the muslim ban of course which violated the first amendment was you know seen as this um clearly racist attack that he withheld funding to puerto rico that um was deemed unconstitutional actually was called citizenship apartheid because of course puerto ricans are uh american citizens there's the list goes on it's just think he refused to um dissolve his financial interests while he's president that's such a violation of the emoluments clause mm-hmm. that he's making money off of these hotels where these foreign officials are staying at and being pressured to i mean there's just so many areas that of abject corruption this president is displaying so yeah i'm definitely on the side that we you know should be moving forward and the other thing is just there was reports out yesterday that trump was not um leaving his residence he was not coming down to the oval office he was just upstairs where very late into the day we <laughs> yes. know what he was doing in yeah. there he was watching because he's freaking out because uh, he, he, he can't handle this think yeah. about what would happen if there were impeachment proceedings he would go insane you know <laughs> and yeah. i think that that's would be great in the sense i mean i don't obviously yeah. the guy with the nuclear codes you don't want him to yeah. totally insane but like this is <laughs> this is somebody who we need to distract from doing some other horrible thing and you know I, if an impeachment will do that that's another plus for the impeachment argument I, think. I, I you articulated everything so well right there in that riff that you went on um i i absolutely believe yeah you're that donald trump is just a to sum it all up is just collect giving the collective middle finger to everybody disagrees with them every democrat uh and he's gotten away with it and i just think the democratic party should stand up and uh, show a backbone and well, begin uh, impeachment hearings and, right now if they lose you lose well i don't even think it's a question of losing necessarily in that you know they're, they're not going to get him out of office exactly. likely, right because this is the republicans control the senate yeah. you're never gonna mm-hmm. you know under this political climate make that happen but what you can do is force a reckoning with the fact that you know the person in the, the most powerful person in the world is using his position uh to abuse it in order to profit himself and his friends you know there were 1400 stated incidents of conflicts of interest in 2017 and 2018 alone that Mm. trump was personally engaged in that they've already discovered just think about if there were even further investigations what they could find and the the thing not to you know dunk on pelosi more and more but i do think that when she says that um she thinks we just need to do the investigations, let the facts rise up, and then move from there. That's as if we're holding on to this like logic-based system of governance, where oh, the, if you know people just realize how rational it is that we need to punish a president who's committed crimes, then magically it'll happen. Like that's not how it works. It's a question of power and being able to exert that power. And just to pivot here a little bit, that's why I think it's important to talk about what just happened in Puerto Rico because mm-hmm. that was a clear incident where you know there was an abuse of power. 
Uh, just a quick, quick background. The the governor of Puerto Rico announced yesterday, late last night, he yeah. would be resigning, Rosello, uh, after facing almost two weeks of open protest that came largely in response to these leaks that um, of a private chat logs mm-hmm. of <coughs> Rosello and his government, where they were using all kinds of disparaging, homophobic, transphobic remarks, talking about their, not just their political enemies, but people who were victims of Hurricane Maria. They were just disparaging these people um, and they were doing it in a, you know, old boys club kind of way because that is how that government has been operating. And people were sick and fed up, partially because of the response to Hurricane Maria and the cover-up of the thousand, over a thousand deaths, which were originally papered over. Um, and then also the massive austerity measures put in place by this fiscal board that exists there. People were fed up. You know, mm-hmm. they're just, they're, they're sick of how they've been treated by their government. And they stood up. There were, stre- there were you know, weeks of street protests against this. 500,000 people um, took to the streets just the other day in a mass general strike that the trade unions supported as well. And they got a result. This guy's out of power. Uh, I mean, think about the difference between that and the display we just saw with (laughs) Mueller saying that's correct, nonstop and equivocating and stuff. I just think that that gives a clear indication that what it takes is power and collective action to actually produce results, not just these constant investigations. Yeah, no, I, that's a very, (laughs) that is correct. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mueller. No, that was uh, a very dramatic uh, turnaround in Puerto Rico. I was following that one from afar, obviously, uh, where uh, Rosello, Governor Rosello was saying, no, I'm not going to leave. Uh, he kept moving, too. He first said he was not going to, you know, be involved in the party anymore. Yeah. Then he said he wouldn't seek re-election. And eventually now he has agreed to resign. Yeah. Well, and, and there was there's sort of unanimity of thought there uh, in Puerto Rico, as far as I could tell. Whereas in our country, and this is what I started with. Um, it's really difficult to have any kind of discussion, uh, any kind of rational, civilized uh, political discussion on the issues confronting us today because the Republican Party has absolutely refused to engage. So I, I talked about this. Our, we're going to have a guest uh, at, at 2.30, Nicole Cantel and Lorene Targos from the EPA's uh, Employees Union. Uh, and they're dealing with all kinds of uh, union issues with uh, a very recalcitrant EPA. Uh, and they're also dealing with issues issues of regulating the environment. So there's a two, uh, a two prong attack, uh, where on one hand, the people who run the EPA are deregulating the rules that govern the environment, make it difficult for them to do their jobs, the employees to do their jobs. And on the other hand, they're attacking their union and their right to collective bargaining. So they're, they're under a two prong attack. So how can you as a democratic party have any kind of negotiations with the, uh, the other party on something like in the environment, yeah. you know, climate change, uh, if they're just denying that there's climate change exists, uh, denying that they need rules that, to regulate the environment, and then trying to, what, undermine the just the collective bargaining rights of the people who are supposed to enforce these rules. Well, I think it's a question of how people are, you know, being held accountable for these, the, uh, for what's going on in our government. And that's where I think the protests in Puerto Rico point a way forward is because think about how much excitement there was when during the women's march, for example, or even the protests against Trump's Muslim ban initially when people went to the went to the airports. There was the feeling that there could be um, 
you know, some checks on this government that are not just through the federal courts or through the Congress, but through people on the street voicing their dismay. And I think that that does have a big impact on how people approach politics. And when they see that people are not going to stand for things like, you know, giving away, just writing away regulations in order to benefit fossil fuel companies or, you know, treading on workers' rights in order to profit big corporations, that's when you can see the needle start to move. I don't think you're going to get the same people that are funded by the corporate interests that they're defending to necessarily come around to you through backroom negotiations. You're going to do that through pointing a different way forward. And we've seen that throughout American history, I think, where it's how, you know, politics has moved and the right has been incredibly effective at it. I mean, going back to the new right with the 70s, that helped, uh, and and even Goldwater in 64, I think that was a massive uh, change in how the Republican Party operated. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lesson that they took from it, and certainly people like Newt Gingrich took from it, is we just need to push forward as far right of policies as possible and move the needle to the right because we're going to keep getting the Democrats to negotiate with us and that's going to mm-hmm. keep pushing things further and further to the right. We can't just keep doing that when we have President Trump in office. I don't think if we want to see actual results. So um, I'm a big believer in people you know, taking focusing on the organizing aspect of things and not just, I mean, in voting is incredibly important as well, but not putting all your faith in the representatives and instead saying, you know, we need to show the kind of leadership we want to see uh, in the offices of power. And I think that's was a clear example from Puerto Rico. All right. Our, our next guest, Ed Myers in the studio. We're going to bring him on a little bit, but before I let you go, Miles, got to ask you uh, some kind of update. The the next time you come into this studio, the debates will have occurred. Round two is next week. We have a whole lineup of guests to talk about them. I'm utterly obsessed with these debates. Uh, what what do you, which, what are you anticipating? What do you expect uh, each candidate will be doing or some of the front runners will be doing? Well, we got a different lineup, right? So the um, first night, I believe, is going to be, it seems to me, it's, it's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, yes. both on the first night. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, just your general array of uh, centrist moderates that, you know, we've come to expect. Um, and then the second night, the big headliners are going to be Kamala Harris and... Um, and Joe Biden. Round two. Yeah. Uh, so I think what will happen in the first the first night, my guess is what we're going to see on display is this broader fight within the Democratic Party between the Sanders Warren wing of uh-huh. the party and just everybody else. I don't anticipate to see much sniping between the two of them. There will probably be some you know differences in their record that they touch upon, but it's basically going to be like think about where how far the democratic party has moved in terms of policy as people like sanders and and warren as their representatives versus even obama and hillary clinton back in 2008 i mean Mm -hmm. that debate was about maybe including you know a public option or an individual mandate or things like that right now you know elizabeth warren and bernie sanders not only do they both support medicare for all they support you know a green new deal Mm -hmm. jobs guarantee free college eliminating student debt these are like massive policy changes that are so foreign to a pretty tepid, uh, you know, weak tea Democratic Party establishment that's been in power for so long. So I think that is going to be on very clear display. It's where the direction of the party is going to go. Versus, and, and the second night, I think, will be, it's going to be a rematch. You're right. I think that there's no doubt that I don't think you'll see Biden. Biden's going to attack Trump. That's what he's just 
has been doing. You know, when they asked him at the last debate, what's the first thing you're going to do as president? He said, beat Trump. Mm -hmm. It's like, what does <laughs> the yeah. heck does that mean? Yeah. You would have already beaten Trump then. But that's the only thing he's just going to keep hitting because he thinks that's what Democratic voters want to hear, which is true. They well, want to get rid of Trump. They so. want to get rid of Trump. <laughs> I, I, I've said that all along. The number one issue for the Democrats, and they come into this studio every, I get Democrats just every day a different Democrat comes into this studio and the one thing they agree on beat Trump. Yeah. So I you're I think you're right. I think Biden's going to try to attempt to say, "Hey, I'm the guy that can beat him." Yeah. I'm the guy that can beat him. Meanwhile, of course the polls show that Bernie would beat, you know, uh Trump, that Warren would beat Trump. I mean, there there's differences around the edges of the different areas and I think a lot of it will come down to Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and these other um states, but you know, it's it, it's not as if Biden is running, you know, miles ahead of these other candidates when it comes to head to head matchups with Trump. So yeah. I do think there's a little bit of, a, you know, the, in insincerity when hold, it comes hold to on that my question. Hold on, Miles. I have to drink a little more of the Kamala Kool-Aid. <laughs> mm, that Kamala Kool-Aid is delicious. I'm feeling it. Oh, I'm man. feeling it. He loves that Kool-Aid. <laughs> I love that Kamala Kool-Aid. All right. Miles Kampf Lesson is our guest. He's from In These Times. Give folks uh, where they can find you, read your stuff, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So my uh, follow me on Twitter. That's uh, you'll get to see some of my quips, maybe some of my childhood photos. Oh my that. god, that photo! <laughs> I got a whoa, this picture of young Miles with a like ba a basketball and, and the same hairdo. And it was that's true. Hairdo. Wild. He, he was a Bulls fan back, back in, in the day, 1992. You know, so yeah, um, I, I, yeah. My hair. Ten trivia points. What was the Bulls backcourt in 1992? Go backcourt. Uh, that would be the guards. Yeah, uh, was it Ron Harper? No. <laughs> Oh, uh, 92? 1992. Michael, well, George, Michael Jordan, Jeffrey obviously, was the, Jordan. Yeah, that, a, shooting, uh, a shooting guard. And as Ed Maher will tell you, uh, John Paxson would have been the other John guard. Paxson. Yes, Ed Maher knows the giant. Oh, he was, uh, so was coming off the yeah. bench. BJ was okay. coming off the bench. Real quick, my, so my Twitter handle is at Miles K. Lassen. Uh, M-I-L-E-S-K-L-A-S-S-I-N. You can follow my work at InTheseTimes.com. I also have a recent article about AOC and Pelosi at Jacobin.com. So you can look that up. Also, a shout out to a dear friend, Kelly Visselman. It's her birthday today. So shout out to Kelly. Happy birthday, Kelly. And uh, uh, Miles, great job as always. We'll see you again. Uh, we got Big Ed Maher on, on deck. We're going to bring him on after this. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. America does not want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. Yes. <laughs> Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, not Aerosmith, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 1. 50. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, July 25th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue... This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Ed Maher returns, and we welcome to our beautiful studios Nicole Cantello and Lorreen Targos with the EPA Employees Union. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Ed Maher's in the studio sitting right across from me. Got a lot of issues to talk about. Uh, before we do, D, you got an update for me? Uh, absolutely, I do here. So, everybody, the Mueller testimony is over. Correct, Robert Mueller? That's correct. Yes, it is correct. <laughs> so, the aftermath, all right? We're okay. now, we're now, it's the day after. And I guess uh, Democrats are trying to figure out, you know, where to go from here, all right? Like I said, he wrote the book, he did a speech, investigation. What next? Well, if you ask this feller named Phil Mudd, he'll tell you. Uh, he was on CNN today. Just kind of want to get your uh, guys' take on this here. Phil Mudd, when asked by CNN's Chris Cuomo what he thinks Democrats should do in the wake of Robert Mueller's testimony before Congress, Phil Mudd had this to say. What do you think the Democrats should do next? Two words. They should shut up. Hey. <laughs> hey. They might see some indication of wrongdoing. A, as you're suggesting, uh. they will never reach the end of this in 15 months. And B, it's going to divide America. So if you can't reach a conclusion and if it's bad for the country, regardless of whether you see some evidence of wrongdoing, do you think that you should pursue this? I'd say, A, for, for reasons of America, shut up. And B, I'm not a politician. But if you think Americans are going to say, I'm going to watch this show 
paint drying for another 15 months. If I, you know, I watch this myself and I'd say, leave me alone. Find something else like healthcare to worry about. Candid words from Phil Mudd. Who is Phil Mudd? Uh, let me look it up here. Oh, whatever. Uh, and uh, suddenly, listen, I don't know who Phil Mudd is. I don't know what he represents. I do believe we have to deal with our health care issues. Uh, but it's so funny to talk about, don't talk about the Mueller report. Don't talk about collusion. Don't talk about uh, ha- allowing Russians to hack into Democratic computers and get away with it And because you don't want to divide America. Like Donald Trump doesn't try to divide America every day of of his administration. If that's not like that's not his strategy, so it's kind of funny what you pick and choose what you don't want to divide America about. Uh, but I do agree with him on the point that we need a national health care plan. I, I'm waiting to hear <laughs> right. the Republicans come up with something that resembles a national health care plan that could deal with the, you know, the issues that people face when they get serious illnesses and they can't afford a doctor or they have to sell their house to pay their medical bills. So, you know, I do agree on that point. What's your thoughts, Ed? Yeah, I mean, the only the only move that the Republicans have have kind of indicated on health care is getting rid of Obamacare. And if Obamacare was gone tomorrow completely in its entirety, which is what their legal strategy has been, it would be utter chaos uh, because people um, would no longer be covered for pre-existing conditions. Children who are currently covered up to age 26 would no longer be covered. Uh, Wellness uh, care for children under the age of two would no longer be covered. And the individual mandate, the elimination of the individual mandate would uh, raise the the premium price by more than 10% annually because there'd be so many people out not getting health care. The sickest of the sick would no longer be getting health care and would just be going to the emergency room. So premiums would be higher and uh, it, something's got to change. The system, the health care system we've got is completely broken. And getting rid of Obamacare and going back to sort of a barren wasteland that's ruled by the health care companies is not the answer. There's got to be something better than that. I, I completely agree on on that point. And so, listen, if uh, I, I would be open <laughs> to uh, forgetting the uh, intrusions that uh, the into the Democratic computers, the hacking of the computers, the attempted cover ups, the the president telling his aides to lie, I'd be open to forgiving that. If I could see something, anything resembling movement uh, on Obamacare, Ed, you pointed out. A, the, the Republicans right now are, are suing to overturn Obamacare uh, if they get their way. And it probably could come to the Supreme Court before uh, the presidential election. If they get their way, the Supreme Court will rule that it's unconstitutional out the window. I see nothing to substitute for it uh, anywhere coming out of the White House or the Republican Party. And it it almost seems like if that's really what they want to do, they'll wish they hadn't done it. If they get what they want then Americans of all political stripes will wake up in a world where if you're sick, you can't change jobs because your, your illness won't be covered. That, that changed only 10 years ago or 11 years ago, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's something from the Stone Age where pre-existing conditions aren't covered. You know, the workers in America have seen the light on that. We've, we've seen the other side where it's better, and going back is something that no Democrat, no Republican is going to be willing to deal with. Well, let me ask you, I'll solicit your advice on this question since we're talking about it. Pretty much, I ask everybody in this studio who comes in here this question. Um, what no, do you I th- won't go out with you. Thanks for asking. 
I am flattered. No, the Just question thoughts. was, who, uh, who are the, the backcourt of the Chicago Bulls? 1992, Ed Maher, go. Well, I was sitting here when, uh, you know, it was like Jordan Paxson. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I knew that. I will throw in that BJ came off the bench, though, that which is, I learned this afternoon. That is correct. He came off the bench. Uh, but he was on the court in 1993 when Paxson hit the big three against uh, Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix. And that's our sports portion okay. of the show today. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, the question I ask people is how, what, what is the, in your humble opinion, the best presentation a Democratic candidate should make on the issue of health care. And we talk about uh, we talked about this in terms of the last debate. I don't think you've been in here since the last debate where the, the Democrats had to do a show of hands of whether the Democratic candidates on whether they were in favor of uh, would be uh, taking away private plans and replacing them uh, with a, a public option. Uh, and uh, many of my guests would come in here and say that's too radical, that's too extreme. You're going to uh, frighten people who are concerned about what they'd be giving up in terms of their uh, private plan uh, as opposed to some unknown. So what, what's your view on this? How do you, what do you think the best argument the Democrats should make? You know, I think that Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, was, was a noble effort. But when you try to take one system and blend it with another, um, the gray area in between the details just get destroyed in the legislative process. So with the Affordable Care Act, one of the things that came in early on in the negotiations was if you were a if you owned a business and you had a set number of employees you could either insure those employees or you could pay an eight thousand dollar per year penalty Mm -hmm. Um, the negotiations brought that penalty down to two thousand dollars a year so corporations were like oh if i have to provide insurance or pay two thousand i'll line up and pay two thousand all day long and you saw companies like um, trader joe's and so many others just advise their employees just go to the exchanges. We're going to pay into this system. Um, and the, the problem is insurance costs more than $2,000 per person. So taxpayers were subsidizing those employees and subsidizing the savings of every company that went out and did it. So, you know, I don't know what the answer for health care is. Uh, I do know that the health care lobby, the healthcare industry owns Congress. It's bigger than alcohol, tobacco, firearms, anything else. Um, and so meaningful change that brings better care, better access at a really lower cost yeah. for, for, for taxpayers, for citizens, I don't, I, I've lost faith that that can actually happen left up to Congress. So I think a radical change is necessary um, because what's happening doesn't work. If you, if you go on GoFundMe right now, anybody who's listening, go on there and I bet half of the people who've got GoFundMe campaigns are people who are sick. Somebody gets cancer and their friends go out and try to raise money from the public. Um, and there's thousands of people in that situation. I see, you know, um, I see that stuff on my, on my social media every day and it's horrible. It, um, you shouldn't, if you break a leg, you shouldn't go bankrupt. Um, and, but that's the kind of, that's the system that we've got right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, pointing out that health insurance can cost you know, good family health insurance can cost fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year, and if tax rates were to go up by four or five percent, which is kind of the ballpark that they've been talking about for for national health care, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but pretty high income, that's four or five thousand dollars a year for health care. That's pennies compared to what health care currently costs. So, you know, I'm not a mathematician, but that's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so something something has to change. There are certainly concerns with with national health care, there's concerns with the public option. There's so much more discussion that needs to take place, but it isn't taking place because 
one side will bring it up and the other side calls them socialists. And there's no, there's no policy debate taking place. I mean, there's a lot that I'd like to learn about uh, what's possible, what people on the right like about, you know, what they propose for healthcare. But all they've been doing for the last 10 years is talking about tearing down what we have, mm -hmm. not building anything else. And if you tear down what we have, careful what you ask for, because there's nothing left. And pe a lot of people are going to be a lot worse off than they started. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe they are successful with that. And that's the undoing of, uh, of the Republican Party and maybe the healthcare lobby. Maybe that's what it takes. I, I don't know. Uh, utter collapse. That's what, you know, it's funny you should say that, but a lot of, um, it's like nihilistic talk, but there was, I remember when uh, Donald Trump was first elected uh, in 2016, some of my friends, of the Bernie persuasion were telling me, you know what, this is the start. You need this total breakdown of all this, the system, and then we can build up from there. And I, I was very frightened by that kind of talk. Uh, Obamacare is staggered on. It's weaker than it was uh, in 2016. The Republicans have been nicking away at it, and uh, uh, so it's worse off now than it was then. Uh, but you're right, it's still around and this ruling could unseat that. So I'll say Local 150, we provide health care for our members and families, and there's about 60,000 individuals that are covered under our plan. There are certain things, um, removing the caps on pharmaceutical costs and stuff like that within Obamacare, that was uh, troublesome, that, that re increased costs. But what Obamacare did by requiring people to get insurance was it slowed the rate of health care inflation. Prior to Obamacare, the annual inflationary rate for health care was you know, pushing 10 to 12 percent, and it immediately dropped um, within a year down to like 7 percent. And it's been in the, you know, the 5 to 7 percent range since. Get rid of that uh, individual mandate, and it's going to be going up back into double digits on inflation. And with the cost of health care where it is, America just can't afford that. So was Obamacare perfect? Absolutely not. But there were very, very important things that it did do to, to reduce costs, or re reduce the cost or the growth of uh, health care costs. Oh, yeah. listen, uh, well, I'm not going to go here, but right now uh, our little uh, union, our little work uh, collective bargaining union is negotiating uh, with our employers. And the issue is, guess what? Health care. You know, because healthcare premiums are going up and someone's got to pay for it. And maybe we're going to, the company will pick up more of it if we agree not to take as much money. It's it's insane, Ed. It's uh, just giving your money to the healthcare industry for inflated service. So well, you know, I'll, I'll have some interesting input on our uh, on our nominee for the Department of Labor oh, chairman. Yes. All right. <laughs> just uh, with, with to that respect, exactly. All right. Let's, let's shift uh, gears here. This is what I really want to talk to you about. Uh, there is uh, going to be a new uh, secretary of the Department of Labor. So let's uh, let's start talking about, first of all, what the Department of Labor does and why it's important. Sure. The, the U.S. Department of Labor does a number of different things. Um, one of the most important ways that it impacts workers is in its wage and hour division. So that enforces laws on overtime, um, you know, minimum wage, things like that, uh, de determines who applies for those kinds of, uh, who applies or is... Uh, is eligible for overtime and minimum wage, and uh, will enforce enforce the laws to make sure that everybody's get, getting what they're supposed to be getting. Um, another one that a lot of people are probably more familiar with is OSHA, the Occupational Safe and Health, Safety and Health Administration. So you see them out on construction sites all the time, but they also work, you know, in most workplaces in the lunchroom, you'll see a, a laminated poster that has all the different workplace rules. Um, and 
then there are other areas like the uh, the Office for Labor Management Standards. That's one that sort of oversees unions. And what's kind of funny is that under the Trump administration, the U.S. Department of Labor, OSHA and um, the Wage and Hour Division, their budgets have been destroyed, completely decimated. Um, but the the Labor Management Standards, which is the the watchdog for unions, they've gotten more staff, more resources. So it's pretty clear that um, that unions are you know being sort of uh, not antagonized, but uh, the oversight is is increased while looking out for workers' safety um, is is less of a priority, receiving a lot less funding as, as well as you know enforcing wage and hour uh, laws. So, I mean, this has been a pretty troublesome office for the president because his first nominee was Andrew Puzder. <laughs> if you remember him. <laughs> Carl's Burgers, isn't that yeah, the guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Hardee's and Carl's Jr., I think. Yeah. He was the CEO, and he got bounced um, because of allegations that he'd beaten his wife and maybe allegedly beaten a girlfriend. There were, it, was, it was bad, and it, the, the removal of him as a nominee was not quick. You know, these allegations were out there for a long time. Um, and I think in the in the Me Too era, as that movement growed, grew, <laughs> that uh, it just became too much, and he was bounced. Um, and so you had Acosta, uh, and he, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, he he proved pretty. I'm not going to say he was good. I, I, I would say he was just incompetent at deregulation, which is what the Trump administration is looking for out of a DOL secretary. They're looking for somebody to come in and remove protections, remove regulations that benefit workers. And Acosta was pretty incompetent at that. He didn't achieve very much. Um, and that's, I mean, the anti-labor people within the department, within the administration, didn't like Acosta, didn't really trust him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and frankly, when Acosta got tied up because um, he was the prosecutor against Jeffrey Epstein in yeah. one, of his, one of his previous cases, you didn't hear a word out of the AFL-CIO trashing Acosta because I think at the end of the day they... They recognize that this guy is, he's not destroying labor as much as somebody could. <laughs> yeah. Someone who was effective at this job would be uh, far more dangerous than someone who was ineffective. Exactly. So he steps down uh, amid the, the Epstein scandal and um, Pazella, I'm, I'm blanking on his first name, Pazella, Patrick. Patrick Pazella comes in. I mean, this is a guy, he's just a sort of a, a, a bureaucratic sycophant to the, uh, to the conservative movement. And he compared union leaders to mobsters, um, you know, multiple, multiple times. So hardly an impartial guy. And he's the acting, uh, the acting DOL secretary right now. Um, but then in kind of a surprise, the president nominated uh, Scalia, Justice Scalia's son, to serve as the Department of Labor secretary. And he was actually the the solicitor for the Department of Labor under George W. Bush. And so he is an experienced labor department operative, let's call him. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly, I mean, people's people on both sides would say about Justice Scalia that agree with him or don't agree with him. He's principled. He's not reckless with his legal reasoning. You may not agree with the way he does things, but he's, he's kind of by the book. Mm -hmm. um, and people say similar things about Scalia, um, his son, but son, so, yeah. right. But what his track record would indicate that he is going to be absolutely no friend of workers. And I'm not talking about union workers. I'm talking about all workers. Um, you know, he, on the healthcare front, he represented Walmart, uh, back in 2006, Maryland had a state law that any company 
um, that had more than 10,000 workers in the state of Maryland had to either pay, um, I think it was 8% of their payroll costs toward health care or pay into a state Medicaid fund. Uh, it was an effort to try to make large corporations provide health care. And Scalia was, um, he defended Walmart and ultimately was successful. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty skillful lawyer, it turns out, but he was successful and Walmart did not have to provide uh, health care for its employees. He also argued that um, things like carpal tunnel and repetitive stress injuries, mm -hmm. he said that there's no reliable evidence that that is caused by, like typing, for example. Yeah. I think that's one of the most common ways that you hear about carpal tunnel. Somebody who works in an office, sitting at a keyboard all day, at the end of you know a couple of decades, their, their wrists aren't, you know, they just don't hold up. Uh, but his argument was that because there's no truly reliable evidence that this is caused, it could just be genetics. You know, so it could be the genetics of everyone who works at a keyboard for just by chance. Years. They all have bad genes. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, he he backed Boeing. He defended Boeing when Boeing. Uh, this is a landmark case under the Obama uh, NLRB um, when when Boeing wanted to move its operations to South Carolina because um, the Washington workers, they were there's a huge facility in Washington for Boeing where they make manufacturing state airplanes. of Washington. Correct. Yeah. And. They, the, the company wanted a no-strike clause, and the workers were not willing to do it because you, that's something you don't just give up. The strike is the leverage that you have. You know, as, as uh, your guest in the last hour was saying, collective action is what gets things done. Yeah. So to just give that away is insane. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't do it, and uh, Boeing shifted resources, shifted jobs, opened a new facility in South Carolina that was non-union. Um, and... Uh, and so, I mean, they ultimately settled because Boeing agreed to some wage increases in Washington. But, but this is the kind of guy that Scalia is, and this is his track record. Um, and, you know, the problem is, is that he is very talented. He's not a um, kind of a political sycophant. He is an intelligent person who's very familiar with the Department of Labor and frankly knows how to dismantle regulations. He's going to be a much more skillful deregulator than um, than Acosta was. And I think that that's something that every worker should be a little bit concerned with, especially because his expertise is in health and safety. Yeah. So I think that's where we're going to see a lot of changes. Wow. Now I'm so depressed. Hold on. I have to drink some Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's not any kind of Kool-Aid. You're just not driving me. home, are you? <laughs> I'm riding a bike, actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I... I um, I, I was reading some of the articles about Scalia, uh, baby Scalia, and uh, like the the one where he was talking about the um, there were studies having to do with uh, worker related injuries, and the, and the scientists had done these studies, and his immediate reaction it was junk science. Exactly, and, uh, that was the ergonomics, the, yeah. the carpal tunnel stuff. Yeah, the, yeah, and I just junk science. I've since it that's like a declaration again. This gets that's a declaration that you hear uh, from Republicans on issues like climate change, mm -hmm. junk science. So Before there was fake news, there was fake science. Yeah, is it junk science, fake news are like this, the cut from the same cloth. And again, I don't know how you, you can negotiate with a party that just dismisses uh, facts. You know, facts. If we can't agree on the yeah, facts, yeah. we'll never agree on yeah, anything it's like, else. So some guy has uh, gets, or some woman or whoever gets, uh, the wrists are aching because they're typing and they go, oh, you got bad genes on it. Yeah. Um, so... Does the Secretary of Labor have the power to unilaterally uh, get rid of regulations that protect workers? Yes. Yeah, the, the Secretary of the Department of Labor 
oversees a lot of the regulations, um, and it's already it's already been happening within the Department of Labor. Some of these, um, some of the wage and hour things where they're trying to limit and carve out groups from applying for or for being uh, eligible for minimum wage and overtime. That's been going on, um, you know, to some degree. But I think that that's going to that's going to accelerate if Scalia is. Um, is confirmed, and so of course Scalia has to go before the Senate to get confirmed, and it'll probably happen because this, the Republicans control the Senate. Right. So uh, has Scalia uh, uh, made any attempt to reach out to union to labor uh, since this nomination uh, has been announced? Do you know of any? Not, not in any way that I'm aware of. I know that the um, the AFL CIO and a lot of the international unions are very uh, concerned about this nomination, and of course it's it's just. Um, the president knows that Justice Scalia was very popular among conservatives, and so I'll just, what can I get his son into <laughs> to, to give me a little bit of bump, give me a little bit of street yeah. cred? And there's there's yeah. a lot of talk that a deal has been cut that you know if if there is an availability uh, during um, Trump's presidency that he wants to put Scalia's kid into the Supreme Court. So, I mean that's that's something oh that's God, yeah. that's being mumbled yeah. about and not quietly. I mean a lot of people are talking about that that a deal's been cut to do that. So, you know, keep an eye out to see him maybe move from the DOL into the federal courts and if you know, uh, if of course uh, Trump's reelected, uh, that's one of the issues that'll be at stake there. Boy, I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I know. I hope not too. Uh, all right, now uh, before the show, I asked you to give a brief explanation of the difference between the Department of Labor and the NLRB. The last time I tried to do it on the show, I didn't do a very good job. So why don't you help people out, some of our listeners, spend? what's the difference between the Department of Labor and the National Labor Relations Board? Sure. The Department of Labor um, more oversees and makes sure, makes sure that uh, that laws are, are complied with, where the NLRB is is more like a court system. Um, they have offices, regional offices and districts across the nation where if somebody is fired for uh, for no cause, they can uh, they can file a case with the NLRB. And, it you know, you have administrative law judges that hear the case. It can get escalated up to, um, you know, the, the Supreme Court eventually through the appeals process. But it's more like a judicial branch. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a pretty safe way to look at it. The NLRB is like the ju- ju- judicial branch of the uh, of the DOL. And uh, how is Trump's, what's his record on appointees to the NLRB? I mean, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. We, yeah. we just actually last week were victorious in a, in a big case. Um, unions like to use inflatable rats yeah. and banners, right? <laughs> so we do it when we're on strike. Yeah. And sometimes we do it when we're just trying to draw public attention to something. The, na- the big inflatable rat, when you see him, you can call him by his name. His name's Scabby. Yeah. So Scabby the rat has First Amendment rights. This was um, determined in 2001 for the first time in federal court right here in Chicago. He's a balloon. He's a big inflatable balloon, and he has freedom or free speech rights. He's a protected tool of the First Amendment. This mm-hmm. has been tried and hashed out in federal courts, state courts, all over the country. The NLRB. So the general counsel of the NLRB, appointed by Trump, uh, is a guy named Peter Robb. He's a former employment attorney who pr- probably represented clients who were targeted by Scabby many times. So he does not like Scabby. And he's been quoted, I think, in Bloomberg as saying he hates the rat. So he's essentially <laughs> yeah. tried to, to take cases against a bunch of different unions who've used the rat in non-picketing, non-strike situations to say that it is picketing and that you can be fined damages um, if you impact business. Our reply, of course, is scabby is free speech. This is the First Amendment. It's a balloon. You've got people out picketing um, 
at soldiers' funerals because they disagree with, with homosexuals serving in the military, and that's free speech protected. And we have a balloon out on the street, and you're yeah. saying that isn't free yeah. speech protected. So uh, the general counsel of the NLRB has pushed these complaints out to unions, and they've been heard at the NLRB, frankly. Um, and we just, uh, Local 150 was one of the defendants or one of the respondents in one of these cases. And we, we were um, victorious about a week ago in one of them. And, you know, the, the general counsel didn't meet any of the burdens to say that an inflatable rat doesn't have First, prote- First Amendment protection, isn't tantamount to picketing, isn't coercive. You know, the NLRB law judges are, are siding with their own precedent and with federal court precedent uh, against the sort of the opinions of one man. But this is Trump's appointee as the general counsel, and he's going to continue uh-huh. to appeal these and push these. And it takes it costs a lot of money to defend these things and to put these cases together. And um, so it's, you know, it's, and so it's kind of think, antagonism. So uh, where will the general counsel, if he wants to appeal, where will he appeal to? Where's, what's the next uh, level? I think from, uh, from the district, it goes to the NLRB in Washington. Um, and from there, I think it can be appealed into federal court. So go to the Supremes ultimately, if if they potentially choose to, if they but choose I, the, to take the, it. The law, the federal law on this is so clear. Yeah. I mean, and the, the NLRB precedent on this is so clear that to think that he could get a victory. I mean, it was a. There have been, I think, three decisions that have come out in this um, in this vein in the last couple of months, yeah. and they've all been extremely clear against the general. It's counsel. just messing with you, Ed. And I yeah. have uh, I I got to do one of those full disclosure things, Ed. Look, I'm gonna do a full disclosure thing. I'm ready. Scabby the rat. Uh, back in 2016, I want to say, my little collective <laughs> bargaining unit, Chicago Reader, was having some issues. But it's so ironic because we were having issues with our former owners who were owned the Sun Times. Okay, where yeah. I now. Live in this studio, sometimes studio. Uh, so it's not saying anything you can't take back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that advice as my advisor and counselor. Uh, anyway, so we had a, uh, a protest because uh, the, the, the negotiations weren't going very well, Ed. Uh, and uh, our mutual friend Bob Ryder brought Scabby the Rat to the protest, okay? So we, I was a beneficiary of Scabby the Rat because there was this huge, big old rat. Mm-hmm. And it was the, we had our protest. He gets there. attention. And if Scabby's on your lawn for mis- when you're mistreating people or mistreating workers, you want to get them off as quickly as possible. Yeah. The good news, uh, we cut a deal with yeah. uh, the other side, and we had a contract. You're welcome, Scabby. <laughs> You're welcome, Scabby. Uh, all right. Be, uh, my next guest, Nicole and Arena, in the studio, before I uh, let you go and bring them on, got to ask you uh, about uh, the Fair Work Week uh, that just, the, the bill that just sure. passed. Yeah. I'll, Our good friend, uh, Alderwoman Garza, her head is enormous. She's got a standing ovation now, absolutely. Sue. Well deserved. Well deserved standing <laughs> ovation, Sue Garza. We're going to have to deal with her. Yeah, uh, I yeah. mean it's it's great. It's it it's pretty simple. Basically, what it does is um, for for jobs that pay twenty six dollars an hour or less, and there are some exemptions. There there are industries this this applies to, like manufacturing, restaurants, um, hotels, uh, you know, parts of the healthcare industry, retail. You have to be given your schedule two weeks in advance, and this is so people who work. Um, these relatively lower wage jobs can make arrangements for health care. Uh, people can take care of their, their parents or, you know, things like that. You can plan ahead because only knowing your schedule a few days in advance when you've got children, when you've got people that are depending on you, it just doesn't work. Uh, so this is something that I know Sue Garza has fought for for more than two years. Um, and Mayor Lightfoot was was the she was the driving force in, in pushing this over the edge. So it's the toughest um, scheduling law in the country. And I you know, I think that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people in just 
living their lives because when you're making, you know, 10, 12, 15 bucks an hour, a lot of times you've got to do other things to make ends meet and being able to, to schedule things more than a few days in advance is going to be, you know, going to be really helpful to yeah. a lot of people. So I think it's a great thing. I, I agree. And so, okay, Sue, take another bow. Standing ovation for Sue Garza. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it as always. Uh, Nicole Cantello and Lorraine Targos, man, they're on deck. Uh, a couple of bad, am I allowed to say that word on the show, D? I mean, if you have to ask it, probably not, right? Okay, but do it. Bad mo beeps. i got to talk about their fight for uh, union rights at the EPA. So we'll bring on Nicole and Lorene when we return. My community is in anguish right now because of an officer-involved shooting, a black man, Eric Logan, killed by a white officer. I'm not allowed to take sides until the investigation comes back. The officer said he was attacked with a knife, but he didn't have his body camera on. It's a mess. Look, we've taken so many steps toward police accountability that you know, the FOP just denounced me for too much accountability. We're obviously not there yet. And if I accept the, responsibility camera, for that because I'm in charge. Policy, you should fire the chief. So under Indiana law, this will be investigated. And there will be accountability for the officer involved. But you're the mayor. You should fire the chief if that's the policy and someone died. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it is amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It is a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Green Element Resale, go and save tons of money. Hey, and also... Our friends and co-hosts at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like this program, The Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year. Of all of the news that you need to know, stay up to date on breaking stories Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben, wait a minute, uh, Robert Mueller, it's forward slash Ben, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. Nicole Cantello and Lorene Targos are in the studio with me from the Environmental Protection Agency Union. Yes, the union. Uh, Nicole was a guest on the show before and laying out some of the issues that the workers are facing uh, in the age of Donald Trump. Lorene Targos, I wrote about her in The Reader about a week ago. She took it to the man herself, and a lot of guts. Uh, we'll get into all that, uh, but before that, do we do that? D, you got no. Oh, D says no update. So welcome to the show, Nicole and Loreen. Good to be here. Good Thanks to be back. Us. All right, so Nicole, why don't you set up uh, the situation before Loreen takes over and talks about what she did, uh, troublemaker Loreen did about uh, two weeks ago in Washington. Uh, talk about the situation, update people on what uh, EPA workers are facing uh, as they try just to exercise their collective bargaining rights. Yeah, so we um, 
had a contract imposed upon us, and we call it the UMAD, which is the Unilateral Management Anti-Employee Directive. Um, and we're all mad about it. Um, and it was a, a, uh, a directive that was just handed to us, and that happened um, on July 8th. And what EPA management said was just comply with this. And it took away many, many of our labor rights. And um, Laureen, in particular, came to me and said, I'm mad about this. And she actually was slated to receive an award from Andrew Wheeler himself, the head of EPA. Mm -hmm. Uh, The date of that award ceremony was? July 10th. July 10th, just two days after that um, directive was dated to come into com- uh, into implementation. Uh, and she said to me, I want to do something on that date uh, to show that I am not happy that this that my labor rights were taken away. All right. Before we get into what Lorreen did on that date, let me ask you this. And I think I've asked you this before, but I'll ask it again. I don't know how, what labor law, what contract law, what any law allows one side of a contract dispute to impose a, a settlement on the other side. Uh, maybe I'm mis- misunderstanding something here, Nicole. You missed the hostage portion of contract law. Yeah, the hostage right? <laughs> we could just take you hostage. Uh, please explain this to people again. A contract. I mean, a union, uh, a labor deal is essentially a contract between two parties. So we're in uh, labor law. Does it allow some one side to just impose a settlement on the other side? No, there is no uh, labor law that allows that. There is a federal labor, labor relations statute, and that federal labor relations statute enshrines collective bargaining between two parties, uh, the union and the federal government, and says that must happen in order for a contract to be valid. But you know Trump. Uh, Trump doesn't care about that. Trump just said, my way or the highway, and just try to fight this off. And that's what he did. He just handed us a contract and said, you have to go to court and stop this. I don't care if it's illegal. It is, in fact, an illegal contract. We are fighting it off. But right now, it is imposed upon us under you know, the police power of the United States government. So in other words, they have the right to impose a new contract on you, and you have to abide by it. Well, they don't have the right to do that, are but they, claiming they the are right doing do it because they have policemen in the lobby of the federal building who will arrest me if I don't comply. Wow. So what are the um, some of the provisions that you have to uh, comply with that are different under this contract from the one that you negotiated? Well, if we're fired, we can't grieve that under this contract. So they just... Yep. Let that sink in, folks. So we don't have the right to complain if they fire us under this contract. And they don't have to. So in other words, they can just fire you without cause. We, under this contract, we can't complain if they fire us. We could not bring a, bring a grievance under this contract if they fire us. So that is, you know, you know, just, you know, just very disconcerting to federal employees at EPA. Uh, they took, so we had the ability to work at home. That was a big part of the federal um, the, the federal benefits that we got because we all take a pay cut. We don't we don't we don't uh, get paid what folks usually do in the private sector. So, for instance, Loreen is a scientist. If she was working in the private sector, she would get, be, get paid a lot more than she does working for the federal government. So you do get some benefits working for the federal government. Some are working at home, so you're able to work at home. Uh, and she uh, she lost her benefit working at home. Uh, we usually had the benefit of working at home two days a week. They took that away. Now we only have the benefit of working at home one day a week. That's another uh, thing that they took away. So they took away a lot of different benefits under the contract. All right. So let's go uh, 
uh, to Lorene, your side of the story here. Uh, so the, the, the contract was imposed on July 8th, July 10th. Uh, you were due to win an award. Talk about the award you're about to win. Um, I believe it was a silver medal for superior service for a project in Muskegon Lake in Michigan called the Zephyr uh, Remediation Project, where they remediated a lot of contaminated sediment that's been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about that for a moment, because that's what the worker... We're here, we're talking about uh, contracts and labor rights and imposing a contract on one party in the middle of a negotiation. By the way, uh, Nicole, I just have to say to you, I, I wonder what Donald Trump would do if, let's say, the suppliers to one of his hotels who had a contract with him, were, were, they were uh, only supposed to, they were supposed, they were going to get $100 for their services, suddenly say, we're charging you $1,000, even though we have a contract, we, we're just going to impose this new contract. What do you think Donald Trump would do on that one? Well, he wrote a book called The Art of the Deal, so you think he'd be able to negotiate with with us, and instead he just thinks he can impose. I mean, you think he would say, oh, I know how to do this, and he'd come to the table. Instead, he just said, oh, no, my way or the highway. I mean, that's not what he's supposed to be famous for doing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, all right, so going back to Muskegon, so uh, what? Uh, talk a little bit about the problems uh, that people are facing in Muskegon and how the EPA employees were involved. Well, uh, throughout the Great Lakes, there are places called areas of concern. And if you go to the website, greatlakesmud.org, M-U-D, um, you can learn more about all the projects uh, going on in the Great Lakes Basin, where they're using um, a, f- a program called the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative to fund cleanups of these legacy sites um, so lots of areas of the Great Lakes where there was a lot of industry, including, you know, Calumet, uh, you know, in Gary, Indiana and Waukegan, Illinois, uh, Detroit, uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Um, there are all these places in the Great Lakes where there's lots of legacy contamination where people would have just, you know, dumped their oil or all sorts of other things into the lakes and or rivers or streams or creeks. And now those are sources of contamination because generally we've cleaned up those factories or whatever, but the the stuff that's still in the in the sediment continues to be a source of pollution. You know, the benthos like small creatures that live on the sediment intake that and it moves up the food chain. Um, among other harms to the Great Lakes mm-hmm. ecosystem. So um, this particular area, Zephyr, was um, a wetland that was severely contaminated with uh, different contaminants like um, products of uh, petroleum, and there was also some lead and some other contaminants there. And they managed to dig all that up on a timely basis um, based on good project management. You know, there's always the administrative side too that's important. And um, now, because that area has been cleaned up, it is no longer a source of contamination and there's some habitat there for fish and birds, I guess, other (laughs) creatures to make that place habitat and increase the availability of wildlife in the Great Lakes. And so she's underselling this. I mean, these awards are really hard to win. So this was a really big project that was really important to EPA. And that's why they gave her this award. I mean, not everyone gets one. Sometimes people get multiple ones, but it's very hard to win. So this was a a pretty important project to EPA. Yeah, pretty important project, uh, I think, for anybody who lives in the Muskegon area also, uh, because you're talking about just 
the pollution of your waterways, uh, and uh, you, you you guys oversaw the cleanup. So this is what the EPA does, folks. That's why you have an EPA, all yeah, right? So it's on sort of if you look at Lake Michigan, it's on the east side, halfway up. Yes, and so it's going to go straight into Lake Michigan. All right, so they decided uh, for your good efforts, you were going to uh, win an award, uh, and you were going to get flown to Washington to meet Wheeler, Andrew Wheeler, who is the uh, commissioner of the EPA appointed by Donald John Trump. Uh, So take it away from there. You're about to have your big moment, meet Wheeler, get an award. What did you decide to do, Lorene? Well, you know, there was he, like maybe a week before the awards, he gave a speech on how he was making the environment great again. And that speech was, you know, kicked off by poll results that showed that um, Donald Trump made Donald that speech, Trump, right? Yeah, Donald Trump made a speech. And um, his pollsters had looked into it and said, you know, you're never going to win the people who really understand that climate change is a problem. But you will win over moderates who don't really care, but just want to have some, you know, empty words of you saying that you care about the environment so that they feel okay voting for you. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that speech was for. And then the day before that award ceremony, he met with the administrator also. And so, you know, why would the first time in 10 years are we doing this award ceremony and the agency is being encouraged to send everyone out to receive the award and take a photo with the administrator with all these EPA scientists. Oh. So mm-hmm. our work cannot be used to sub- support an agenda that actually hurts our work. This, um, All that work was done under conditions that were um, made possible under the collective bargaining agreement that we were working under. And with this new contract, the work that we did is not possible. And so it was... Uh, unconscionable for me to accept the award, knowing that that award was, receiving that award was gonna be sort of a a tacit agreement with what they're doing with the agency and hurting it. We took an oath to support the mission of the agency, support the constitution, and that action of taking away our right to collectively bargain and our our working conditions that allowed good work to happen absolutely subverts whatever they're performing for us at that award ceremony. Uh, so if I'm reading you correctly, and I think I am, and I think I agree 100% with what I'm reading, uh, in, in reality, yes, your work should be recognized. And yes, the work of EPA employees who stand up for the environment and protect the environment and use the regulatory powers they have to protect the environment should be encouraged and rewarded. But uh, if I'm reading you correctly, hearing you correctly, it wasn't heartfelt uh, on the part of Donald John Trump, who runs uh, the government, uh, to give out these awards and show his appreciation for the work you guys did in Muskegon. In fact, he was using his props in his larger political effort to somehow or other convince swing voters in districts who are kind of paying attention to these issues that by giving an award uh, to Lorene and other EPA employees, he actually cared about the environment when, of course, he's just shredding the rules and the laws that protect the environment. Exactly. We're not going to have a party in the deck of the Titanic as it goes down. Uh, So, okay. (laughs) So rather than having a party in the deck of the Titanic and uh, celebrating uh, uh, Donald John Trump, what did you do? So um, I, the night before I 
bought some fabric and paint and I made a poster that is uh, photographed in the Chicago Reader from last Thursday. Uh, thanks, Ben, for sharing that. And Nicole, for taking the photo. And um, I uh, went up there. I was, you know, I'm, I tend to be, you know, brave and say I'm going to do all these things. And then once I got there, I was actually terrified. Um, you know, I, I had the cloth tucked into where, like, behind my belt. And, you know, I was worried that we would get searched because we're entering a federal building. Um, luckily that, um, you know, I nothing was confiscated. Um, and so when we went up there, um, we, uh, we received the award. I didn't want to interrupt uh, the fellow team members who maybe did want to take a photo and receive their award without disturbance. So I, I stood for the photo. And then when we were going to be ushered off stage, that's when I took my moment, my one opportunity to speak truth to power um, in a world where he's always surrounded by security and almost no average citizen can approach him and ask him to represent our interests as the American people. And um, so I asked him if he would, uh, yeah, I think you had it quoted, um, you know, if he would support a fair contract for the workers who did this great work. And I pulled out the, um, the poster and unplugged, I had a little microphone to try to get the message out more clearly, but I unplugged the mic and I held it there and t told him my piece. And he just looked at me and then gestured me to, for me to get off. And as I was walking off, he um, said, you know, the platitude from the administration that they've tried to come to the table with us, um, but under conditions that we didn't agree to. And there are plenty of ways to still come to the table. Um, they refused to do that and implemented the UMAD, and so we're mad. Mm. Andrew, the, the he in that sentence, Andrew Wheeler, the head right. So it was the big boss man uh, mm -hmm. that you pulled the, now what's been the consequences? Have, have they uh, tried to punish you in any way or have they ignored it? What's been the consequences of the fallout, if you will? They haven't tried to punish her yet. Um, we're still trying to protect her and we're still taking every effort to protect her. Um, they haven't taken any steps yet um, to uh, to start any disciplinary action against her. All right. Well, I, I really hope they don't. Uh, when we come back, we're take a break. I'm going to give uh, Nicole and Laureen the greatest award I can give them, the Jackie Brown Award for, for badassery uh, on the part of women, uh, name, so named for Pam Greer's character from the 1997 movie uh, Jackie Brown, which, of course, nobody in this room has seen because they're all too young to have seen it. We'll be right back after this. Your campaign website, uh, it's got a lot about who you are, what you believe in. It doesn't have anything specific about policy, like nothing. There's no policy section on it. Well, I think I've been pretty clear where I stand on the major issues. Uh, I think I led the field in opening up the debate about policy on structural reform for the Supreme Court, for example. Uh, I'd say I've been more specific than many in offering a pathway to get to a Medicare for all environment versus just saying we can make it happen. Uh, and there's a tool coming online shortly, if it's not there now, uh, that will make it possible to just enter a keyword and see, uh, visualize, you know, pull all the video on what I've said about that particular issue. But it's hard to compare where you stand to, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who was out here, even from your website, you, it's sort of like comparing, uh, I mean, it's not, you just can't compare the policy positions. <laughs> so. If, uh, well, some of that will come out tonight, uh, and I look forward to that. Okay. Again, I think I've weighed in pretty specifically on a number of policy issues. 
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Yes, indeed. That music means the end of another show, but it's not over yet. We still have Nicole Cantello and Lorraine Targos from the EPA in the studio with me. By the way, Dee, <laughs> not only is Lorraine a great scientist, award-winning scientist, yeah. not only does she have a lot of guts, not only did she win the Jackie Brown, the coveted, much coveted Jackie Brown Award, the only few, Karen Lewis, I think it's the only other person who's ever gotten this well, award. I mean, you made it up, so... Yeah. <laughs> Now, she plays a mean piano, all right? That's Lorene playing a piano over there. She does it all, okay? Piano playing scientist. Anyway, we have uh, Nicole Contello and Lorene Targos are still in the studio. I got a few more questions I'm going to ask them before I let them leave. Before we do that, D, got an update for us? You love that piano joke. (laughs) You're still giddy about it. He loves it. Come on, you got to give Lorene credit. What joke? I'm playing it. Yeah. Touche, Dr. D. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Okay, well, two updates here. Uh, First up, another Democrat, a gentleman by the name of Peter DeFazio, announced his support for launching an impeachment inquiry against Donald Trump. Uh, He says, quote, I believe the time has come for the the Judiciary Committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry and collect the evidence necessary to build a strong case against President Trump. Trump, he said, and he said his presidency is a danger to our national security and a threat to our democracy. I agree on both fronts. Go for it. All right. So that was our national update and our local update. Confederate Railroad Gate continues. I th- oh, we talked about that. That was big in the news a couple weeks yeah, ago, D. a couple weeks ago. Confederate Railroad, the band who's, uh, you know, got, you hear the name, Confederate Railroad, but also their logo has the Confederate flag. Well, they were uh, scheduled to play in the Illinois State Fair. And J.B. Pritzker said, eh, we don't want those guys there. Kicked them out. Uh, and another, uh, I believe, a, a county in New York has uh, also said Confederate Railroad. We don't want you playing there. But they're picking up dates in Illinois, all right? It says here uh, there's a they were playing at a place called Black Diamond Motorcycles uh, once they found out that they got canceled from the state fair. So Black Diamond Motorcycles in Illinois picked them up. Uh, and to promote the, uh, the thing, they gave the logo. They showed Confederate Railroad in the logo, but they took the Confederate flags out of it and put American flags instead. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah and people are, and they, Confederate Railroad gave them permission to do it, but people on Facebook are going crazy. <laughs> what they want the confederate flag back yeah they want it back up there i guess so uh yeah and uh, that's a, that's the update all right well, and by the way I, uh not now but i urge everybody you want to hear a good riff on this uh our interview with toy hutchinson remember toy going off on mm-hmm. this state senator toy hutchinson she was fired up when she was in the studio and i asked her about uh, the confederate flag and man she just went on a riff all right. Not unlike me today, talking about Outside Magazine saying, oh, typical Chicagoan loves to go for walks in the winter. Still don't know any Chicagoan likes to walk in the winter. <laughs> anyway, outside. Oh, you want me to read that again? <laughs> no, don't read Outside Magazine. Uh, Chicagoans love to walk in the winter. They just put on their clothes and go out for a walk. I don't know any Chicagoan who likes to walk in the winter, except for 
people who not from Chicago. All right. Anyway, uh, Nicole Cantello, Lorene Targos are in the studio, and uh, we've been telling the story, chronicling the story of very gutsy move by Lorene uh, to take her protest directly to Andrew Wheeler, the, who is the administrator of the EPA, Donnie Trump's uh, uh, he hand selected uh, governor of the uh, uh, the environmental protection doing a terrible job of protecting the environment, in my humble opinion. That's my humble opinion. Uh, and uh, you took it right to him, and you, and you put the um, uh, your protest right in his face uh, after they try to impose that contract on you. So, Nicole, what can people do to help you and join you uh, so that EPA employees don't feel they're all alone in this one? Yes, yeah, so we've done a little work with our... Um uh, Congress people. And uh, so the appropriations bill that's currently proceeding through Congress for funding for next year has a measure in it that would take that would like eject these UMADs and these terrible contracts that have been imposed on all these federal employees. And so uh, that's going to the Senate. And so we're asking everybody to contact their senators, uh, Durbin and Duckworth, and ask them to uh, support these uh, measures that are in the appropriations bills that are uh, that are going to eject these uh, these contracts, these terrible UMADs that are on that are on uh, the backs of all the federal workers. So please contact Durbin and Duckworth and ask them to support the uh, riders that would take out these contracts and these terrible UMADs that are being imposed on the federal workers. All right, just help us out. A UMAD, what, what does that mean? That's a unilateral management anti-employee directive. Okay, got it. Uh, UMAD, hence the uh, uh, UMAD. And uh, the writer uh, would do what exactly? Well, it, it says that any um, contract that was imposed upon a federal employee and wasn't collectively bargained would not be valid. And so it would then allow our old contracts to be in place. And this is a proposal in front of the Senate. Right, because the House has put it into their appropriations bill. Right, gotcha. And uh, is there any sign that any Republican anywhere is going to support this uh, in the Senate? Uh, no, but we're working on it. Got to be some Republicans somewhere who support collective bargaining rights. They're putting they under this, that table? Yeah, well, Yep, they're under the table, Nicole. Come on out. They're so afraid of Donald Trump's tweet. It's not so bad. Look, Loreen put out the sign and Wheeler didn't do anything to her. Yep, they're still hiding under Nicole and Loreen. Yeah, they're hiding. Uh, but they, in the old days, it's one of our, our favorite topics. There were some Republicans who stood up for collective bargaining rights. Now, they may disagree with the, the need for an EPA. They may believe that climate change is a whole con hoax concocted by the Chinese government in order to undermine America and get a, an advantage in trade. That's Donald Trump's uh, view of of uh, climate change. There may be some Republicans who share uh, that belief. But that delusion. What's that? <laughs> that delusion. That delusion. Well, there, yeah. There's a lot of federal employees in Utah and Idaho and places like that, and we've got to get them to stand up and get them to contact those senators. Absolutely. Now, uh, and by the way, it's not just EPI. I didn't do a good job of saying this. It's not just the EPA employees uh, who have suffered under uh, some of these contract. this contract impositions. Con Talk about some of the well, other. Well, let's not call them contracts because they're not between two parties. We That's call them correct. directives. Directives. That's what we call it the UMAT. Um, but yeah, the, the Social Security Administration, uh, the Department of Education, HUD, HHS, the Trump administration is union busting and doing this to every federal agency he can. Uh, he just did it to uh, the parks, uh, uh, you know, the National Parks, uh, National parks. Uh, so he's doing it to every single uh, 
any every single federal agency and fe- federal employee he can do it to. Uh, so it's going across the board. And uh, how do they contact you if they want to uh, contact you, give you some signs of support as well? Oh, 704AFGE is our Twitter handle. Okay, very good. And I believe uh, we have that segment of the show. D, want to give him a proper introduction here? Absolutely. It's a segment on the program where we give our intern slash editor the microphone. Let her take control because she's so awesome. It's a segment that we call Leah's Last Word. Word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Um, so my question is, how has have these infringements on your workers' rights um, made it harder for you to complete your job on a daily basis? You want to take that one? Um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of my colleagues are, you know, have lived, worked at the agency. Um, EPA has one of the oldest workforces in the nation in terms of in terms of agencies. And a lot of people shaped their lives around the collective bargaining agreement that we had earned under the impression that, you know, the government would always work in good faith with the workers who execute the mission of the agency and the constitution. And so, you know, there are folks who, you know, shape their lives around only being in the office. Um, you know, they work four ten schedules and then they work um, two days a week from home so that they can um, be ready to, you know, take over childcare, elder care duties, that type of thing. And they live far away. And that's really, you know, a lot of folks are holding out. I've heard some people are leaving. That impacts everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to worry about human health and the environment when you're worried about being fired, you know, and that's a big problem with folks. So, yeah, it does impact you when you're concerned about how you're going to, about, going, going, going to go about, you know, satisfying um, the disciplinary parts of the, of the contract. Do you have a follow-up? But don't you have a follow-up announcement you want to make? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about that, actually. I just wanted to give a shout-out to my little brother. Um, He is in a band called Monarchy Over Monday, and they are playing Riot Fest in September. So turn out to come see him. It's really fun. And Ben will sing his favorite uh, (laughs) song from that band. Go! Um, Yesterday, all my trouble. Oh, sorry. They don't do any Beatles songs, do they? No, they don't. Uh, but they like the Beatles, don't they? They do. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah, uh, Leah's Leah, by the way, in addition to being uh, our editor, also plays the violin. And one day she's going to bring the violin and play it for us. Uh, and her younger brother is already a rock star, even though he's like fifteen. Yeah, fifteen-year-old rock star playing uh, at Riot Fest. Anyway, so uh, I just wanted to give him that shout out. Uh, Nicole Cantello and Lorene Targos, thank you so much for stopping in and uh, for your good fight. And uh, please, you know, enjoy that Jackie Brown Award I gave you, Lorene. You can take it anywhere. Uh, you really did earn it. Uh, and if folks want to read a little bit more about it, uh, I wrote an article or a column in The Reader, I think it was last week, uh, about, and that's uh, about uh, Lorene's uh, protest. And there's a picture of her with the banner. So you can go check that out as well. All right, Nicole Cantel, Lorene Targos, who are our guests here in the studio right now. Big Ed Maher was here at 2 o'clock. And God, it seems like a while ago, Miles Conflassen was in the studio from In These Times to start off the show. Want to give Leah a shout out. Thanks for doing a great job as she always does. And then a shout out to the man, the myth, the legend behind the door, the, the board, the door, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Lorraine, you know what they call Dennis down in Alton, Illinois? They call him White Lightning. Yes, indeed. That's what they call him down in Alton, Illinois. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 
No one calls me that. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader website, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. We're now on Spotify. Tell your friends. And hey, downloaders, we live stream this program. You should check it out sometime Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Find us on social media at Benny J Show and the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y.